I'm Yonit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv. And I'm Jonathan Friedland of The Guardian in London. And we are Unholy from Keshet Podcasts, two Jews on the news. And Jonathan, this is our Israeli election special. It is. We are coming to you a day earlier than usual because we wanted to bring you fresh word of the election. I use the word fresh advisedly, Yonit, because I know this has been something of a marathon for you. You've been on air, what, most of the last 48 hours, (laughs) as far as I can tell. Uh, Let's talk snacks, first of all. How did you get through the night? Did you take my advice about nuts and raisins and all that? I did nothing but coffee, Jonathan. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Should I, I should have thought of something more interesting. There was nothing, absolutely nothing but coffee for an 11 hour roller coast of a broadcast. Um, so uh, I apologize to our listeners yeah, that I'm no, a little bit tired and yeah, not less confused than I was last night, to be honest. <laughs> I'm shaking my head in a combination of judgmental disapproval for your beverage choice, but also <laughs> awe and admiration for the incredible marathon ordeal. So we should tell people straight away, you were there, you know, in the anchor's chair. So what happened overnight? Uh, you want the short answer or the long answer? I think we'll, well go for the long haul. is the long answer. So we're going to get right into it. <laughs> so, but, but you tell us. You, first of all, I mean, we have to go back to the exit of 10 p.m. that showed a slight advantage to the uh, Netanyahu block. Now, as we are recording this uh, Wednesday afternoon, we are looking at a different reality. It's a virtual tie between the pro-Netanyahu and the anti-Netanyahu, or even a slight advantage to the anti-BB block. Another note we have to make, again, we didn't finish counting all of the votes, but we kind of know what the what the picture is by now. Another note that we have to make, remember how we discussed Naftali Bennett is, as the kingmaker, all hail the new kingmaker, Mansour Abbas, the leader of Ram, the United Arab List, which is the southern faction of the Islamic movement. And before I get into all the options, right, because right now we have three different options where Israel is headed. Could you ever have imagined, Jonathan, that the new kingmaker is the Islamic super conservative Arab politician, dentist, by the way, from a village in the Galilee? Will he be the person to break the Israeli deadlock, uh, if you will, to perform a root canal on the infected political system in Israel? I mean, that is just that is the one first step in the in the really incredible an amazing night that we that we went through. I mean, if they see the scriptwriters for Netanyahu, the Netflix <laughs> series, came to the meeting in the writers' room and said, "Look, we're thinking of this for the season finale of you know season four, the or it's the it's season fifty eight for him, but in terms of the fourth <laughs> election, that the the, the twist is going to be that Netanyahu's fate is going to be in the hands of an Islamist dentist. <laughs> I mean, you could not." make it up. It is extraordinary. I mean, we had talked earlier on in the podcast about this whole flirtation Netanyahu was doing, looking for uh, Arab voters. Uh, After delegitimizing Arab voters for, for many years, right? right. I mean, yeah. last time it was, you know, they're coming in droves, you've got to come out and vote. Now it's like, I can't get enough of them. Droves are good as long as it helps <laughs> me. But the, but of all of the Arabs, I mean, you know, and I've been back and forth with people in Israel about this a bit this morning. You know, there is the joint list and the very, you know, I'm an Alder is a quite sort of mainstream figure. The idea that of all the Arabs that Netanyahu is going to potentially buddy up with to make a coalition is this kind of Islamist figure. Again, from the outside, it looks like the most radical form of uh, Arab politics within Israel. And yet, actually, the point was made to me that in some ways, perhaps it's easier because the dispute is kind of religious rather than some of the ultra-nationalist politicians that would have been in the joint list. 
And, and I think Mansour Abbas, the dentist himself, made this point, didn't he, that he feels he's got quite a lot in common with the ultra-Orthodox Jewish parties, the Haredi parties, because they kind of have similar attitudes to a lot of the big social questions. Look, uh, Mansour Abbas did something amazing in this election. First of all, he broke away from the joint Arab list, saying, you know, what we did for many years was say no BB, right? No way. We're only going to go with the left. Remember, the joint Arab list did an historic move for them and supported Benny Gantz after uh, the last elections, you know, supporting uh, joint Arab list, supporting a list that has three former IDF chiefs of staff. He broke away from that and he said, you know what? Maybe we can make a coalition with Benjamin Netanyahu. Why not? So that was a very dramatic move on his part, by the way, uh, with a lot of encouragement from Netanyahu himself. But let's let's kind of zoom out on that for a minute. Uh, first of all, right now, as we are speaking, there are three options, um, uh, three roads. I, I don't know even how to tell you which is crazier than the, than, the, than the other. So the one thing that we already mentioned, right, is that Netanyahu will somehow form a government with, on the one hand, the support of Ra'am, right, this uh, uh, Islamist Arab party, and on the other hand, the support of the extreme right, uh, the religious nationalists, with the Kahana faction inside them. So just imagine how this is uh, supposed to happen. This is this is quite, um, you know, this is alchemy. This isn't even, uh, uh, you know, anything else that Netanyahu has to pull out. That is one option. But there are two other options uh, this morning, Jonathan. Uh, the other option is, of course, I dread to say this, right, because this is unbelievable in a democracy, but that we are heading towards fifth elections because of this deadlock that has not yet been resolved. Uh, and the third option, uh, I don't even know where to sort of set it, is that Netanyahu's, the anti-Bibi bloc somehow manages to form something. You know what, before we get to what kind of coalition they can form, we have to say that there is a trick they can pull if they have a majority of 61 and they, they don't form a coalition, but they can pass legislation that will prevent a person who's indicted to form a government. Then they have to break apart because uh, there is no government and then go into fifth election. But the law is passed and then Netanyahu can't run. So I don't know. I'm, I hope that this this whole thing is doesn't sound like a big balagan to everyone who's listening. But these are the three three options that are now on the table. Yeah, I think all we we will will drill into all three scenarios. That that third one, uh, the idea of a coalition of convenience, in other words, just sixty one people assembling the vote purely to block Bibi, in a way that would have logic. Because what has the election been about? And it was telling that you and I think all your colleagues in the Israeli media as well didn't talk about the left and right blocks. They talked about the pro Bibi and anti Bibi blocks. That's what the election would was about. And therefore, there's a kind of logic in saying uh, the 61 anti-BB people saying, let's come together for this one act, which is mm -hmm. to pass the law that blocks BB. That's the only thing, in a way, they have in common. And on paper, you would say that is surely more likely than your scenario one, which is that somehow you cobble together a coalition that includes simultaneously the Islamist leader that we mentioned, uh, Mansour Abbas, but also this the leader of this outrageously racist, Kahanist, Jewish supremacist and, and, and just party, to add, Itamar Ben-Gvir, all, all to sit together around even a notional table. I know they won't be formally in government together, but that is so mad that you would say that the first scenario is more likely. The one caveat I would attach is, and you use the word alchemy, people talk about him as a magician or a sorcerer. If there is one person in the world who has the kind of black arts 
to, you know, channel Hogwarts for a moment, who is the dark arts, you know, who could somehow magic together, uh, you know, Itamar Ben-Gvir from the world of Kahanism and Mansur Abbas from the world of Palestinian Islamism and put them together. The only one person could get away with that, I think, or somehow pull it off. And that's why I don't think you yet count out, which I know you're not doing, but yet would ever count out Netanyahu. No, no. Although there are all kinds of, uh, you know, there's obviously an internal uh, debate w- within the Likud and someone uh, reminded the world that Yair Netanyahu, who in many cases is the mouthpiece of his father, a year ago tweeted that Ram, this this uh, exact party, is the sister movement of Hamas in Gaza. There is going to be a lot of, you know, this is n- this is more than walking back. Uh, a lot of what Netanyahu has said, and the reality of of the of Ram Party. Um, but but when we're adding into that Netflix series about Netanyahu, that I think we're writing the uh, uh, treatment, we're pitching right now. Exactly. Um, we have to add when we go back to the option of somehow the anti BB block building this coalition. Let's return to the Israel's basic law, the government, right? Israel doesn't have a constitution; it has uh, basic laws. But remember, it says that the president of the state of Israel will, after consultation, assign the task of forming a government to a Knesset member who has notified him that he is prepared to accept the task. It doesn't need to be the head of the biggest uh, party. It doesn't have to be the head of the biggest bloc. It has to be a member of Knesset that basically agrees to and can somehow form a government. So that is something that is now happening in conversations, consultations between the uh, uh, members of the anti-BB bloc. That is uh, that that are trying to to get this to happen now. Uh, just to complicate things further, <laughs> Netanyahu can still lure someone into his coalition the way he did to Benny Gantz last time, right? Maybe Gitan Sal or maybe Gantz himself. I don't see that on the table uh, because he looks weak right now. So so that is still something that Hammond. Let's let's be very honest. We don't know at this point where this is going. Just in terms of how much we don't know, there are they are still counting votes, and we know that because of Corona, there were more people doing the so-called double envelope and sort of absentee voting. But I mean, what's your anticipation just on that about whether these tallies that we've all been looking at, um, whether they could change between now and I don't see Friday. it changing dramatically. I think the minute that Ram passed, it's a very look. It was a roller coaster of a night. Right at the beginning, we thought Netanyahu has. Some, some sort of an advantage. And, and we talked about this a lot, Jonathan. We said that there was a difference between if he has 61 to, for his block or 59. The beginning of the evening, it looks, looked like he had a 61. The more the evening progressed, it looked like it was slipping away. Suddenly in the morning, the more the votes were counted, it looked like he had a 63 coalition uh, government. And then Ram passed the threshold. And the minute that this uh, Arab party passed the threshold, Netanyahu's block dropped I don't think that's going to change dramatically. They have enough votes. They have uh, passed the threshold. That is for sure. So we are we're still in a again in a sort of a twilight zone here. But it doesn't look like that the the rest of the voting will change that picture dramatically. More than anything, Israel is in a deadlock. Now I think we should point this out. Maybe we should have said this uh, at the outset. Look, Netanyahu did not have a good night. Right. Everything was playing in his favor in these elections. The stars were aligned, right? Coronavirus is considered over in Israel. The R8 is dropping, vaccines being given out in the millions. He took himself, he, he took credit for that. Um, the, the opposition was fractured. And, and to give a sports analogy, right, Netanyahu was playing in front of an open goal and he missed. Again, and, and don't forget, his trial or the main part of his trial uh, uh, did not begin it. So really, everything was aligned in his favor, and he did not manage, surprisingly, I would say, 
to uh, get this large majority. He had a very comfortable and convenient coalition with Benny Gantz, which he broke up because more than anything, he didn't want to give uh, Benny Gantz what he promised to give him in the coalition agreement, which is a rotation in, 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 in being a prime minister. And now, good luck. Good luck with forming a coalition with the results that you that you got. Just one pick up one thing there about the idea that the stars were in alignment with him. There will be people around the world, other leaders, including in in this country. I think Boris Johnson, who will be eyeing up this result with with some uh, a caution, because they will be thinking, "Hmm, running the world's most successful vaccination program is not enough. Voters don't move with." by gratitude. And, you know, that's always known in this country because in 1945, Winston Churchill had won the war and still was rejected in a landslide defeat by Labour in that that year. It's always held up as the exemplar. But I think a lot of people were assuming that Boris Johnson, by successfully doing vaccination in this country, that would erase his mishandling of the earlier stage of the pandemic. And in a way, that was exactly the Netanyahu story, where terrible mishandling early on, uh, you know, where it was running rampant in the first phase, some bad decision making, it seemed about lockdown. But look, the record seemed to be wiped clean with amazing vaccine rollout. Mm, The voters don't necessarily reward that. They have other things in their mind. I would say that the amazing thing is that after everything that this country has been through, coronavirus, lockdowns, vaccinations, we still arrived at a a political situation in which it was either pro-BB or anti-BB. It didn't matter to the anti-BB camp, whatever he did. And it didn't matter to the pro-BB camp, whatever his failings were. It didn't matter. It was just the question of... Are you for him or are you against him? And we have reached this deadlock. It, it really, I mean, it, it, it's it's amazing. We just finished a, a, a very exhausting fourth election campaign and people are seriously talking about how are we going to get out of this? Well, fifth elections. Yeah. That is... I mean, that the, is the, the deadlock is so the right word. I, I, you know, after the Florida 2000 photo finish in America, people talked about a 50-50 nation. And Israel is the 60-60 nation you know just one way or another these blocks shake out that way um <laughs> you know there's a uh, we, we talk about them a lot Eretz Nehderet which is a wonderful a satire program and one of the more recognized characters there in our in our election night broadcast the, one of the recognized characters is Shauli and he said in a brilliant skit he said you know people are tired of voting over and over again he said we're not the chosen people anymore we're the choosing people and I'm tired of these elections when the interviewer again this is satire right asked him what is the solution she said, everyone hates each other. What these people need is a civil war. Every country that respects itself had a civil war. The Americans had it. The Syrians have it. Only we did. We didn't. This is bitter humor. It's satire. But you feel like, really, this is, we fell into this vortex where we can't get out uh, of that deadlock. Well, I was interested about that because I've been wondering about exactly that. And, and it goes to this thing about whether the, your third scenario, about whether the anti-BB block could somehow do it. And I want you to say more about this idea that it doesn't have to be one of even the leaders of the parties. That's fascinating to me, whether it could be some, you know, elder statesman figure or elder stateswoman figure that people turn to almost just for the task of forming to block BB and then they can break up again. But one thought that struck me was whether or not part of the problem was the fragmenting, the splintering 
of the anti-BB forces. Because even though you absolutely rightly say in the end it was not a good night for him, it was as if he missed an open goal, when you look at the percentage breakdown of the parties, it is amazing how there is BB at the top with kind of 27, 25, 26%. And then the others are 6% here, 6% yeah. there for the Benny Gantz and Labour and Merritts and all. He's still the kind of, somebody I think tweeted that the landscape is, you know, that Israel has one king and 12 tribes, you know, that there's, he's still this paramount figure. And I wondered if, what to, I'd be interested to know your take on whether the, and I wouldn't call them even the left, but the anti-BB forces, do they need to A, consolidate and form one big block to administer the knockout blow and i know blue and white koholavan was partly about that but does you know does there need to be merits and labor and joint list and yalapit all in one block or and maybe it's and but do they need to have a big beast who is on a par with netanyahu is netanyahu never going to be knocked out until there is someone of equal heft opposite him and you know benny gantz was never that figure and I think to the, to the one time he lost, you know, he lost in in '99 to uh, Ehud Barak, who was, you know, seen as a uh, then as a big big beast, former chief of staff. You know, he couldn't defeat Sharon in those Kadima elections in the early part of the century. Does the anti bb force do the anti bb forces need to cohere around a big big beast? Given that that is exactly what Netanyahu himself is. Okay, Jonathan, I was in there all, all night and that was like five different questions. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try, I'll try and deal with that. Um, look, <laughs> obviously it did not happen in this elections, right? In these elections. Uh, there was not one force uh, uh, against Netanyahu. I'm not sure that didn't play in the favor of the anti-BB bloc, right? Because when you see, for example, the Israeli left actually, uh, if I can use that phrase, uh, came out in droves and actually uh, uh, succeeded. Ha'avodah is, is larger than it used to be. Meretz had a great achievement. So, so and Ben Gantz passed, again, with, a, with a, also a major achievement. So we'll talk about him, by the way, as a surprise winner, maybe. But, uh, and, and Yair Lapid, again, we're on the, we don't know yet how this election ends. If this election ends with, with Netanyahu packing and leaving Balfour after 12 years, then Yair Lapid is a political genius because he played a, a, a basement strategy and he let the rest of the bloc sort of grow in power. It wasn't, he realized it wasn't important for him to be the, the largest party in the bloc, you know, by far the largest party. It was more important for everyone else to survive. And he managed to, to, to throw him out of, 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 uh, of the prime minister's uh, house, a residence. So, so I think that the question is not necessarily whether Israel needs a large sort of uh, uh, opposition because it didn't work three times uh, before, but what is the right way uh, for that opposition, for the anti-Bibi bloc to, to win him over? Again, this is a complex, we're talking about Netanyahu trying to sort of pull extreme right Itamar ben on one end and, and, and the Ram uh, party, Arab party on the other end, but but also the anti-Bibi bloc is not exactly cohesive, right? You want a, a Naftali Bennett to sit with Meretz and Lieberman to sit with Meretz and Sa. It's not exactly going to be an easy task either. But again, as I said, they don't only, they have two options. Again, as, as we said, to rally around some sort of, you know, a formidable figure or something, someone like maybe Benny Begin, the son of Menachem Begin. That is a name that has been thrown around uh, in this past uh, 20, these past 24 hours uh, and, and try and make him, 
the prime minister. I don't know how much, you know, that sounds kind of science fiction, but I would tell you that for elections and the prime minister indicted for corruption is also science fiction. So I really, I, I've lost the handle on what is the crazier scenario. Um, or again, go through this legislation that just prevents Netanyahu from being prime minister, um, which is also a, a path they can take. I'm not sure so, I answered your five questions. No, no. I mean, well, we'll it's, look, Pesach is coming. Four questions would have been fine. <laughs> And you managed, I think, all of them, and uh, even in your sleep-deprived state. I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking out loud, but you mentioned who had done well, and we should talk about some winners and losers, because it's a really interesting and mixed bunch. I mean, I think you're absolutely right to highlight that those left parties, and, you know, there were people drafting the obituaries for, Mm -hmm. at different points, the Israeli Labour Party, the founding establishment party of the country, were they going to never make it into the Knesset? They chose a new leader in the form of Merav Michaeli, and I think people will think she did pretty well. And they they cleared the bar. Benny Gantz, again, counted out. I thought he surely was toast. I couldn't see why anyone would vote for him because he had promised, the one promise he made was, I won't sit with Netanyahu, and then he did. I couldn't see the logic of voting for him. He made it across. Uh, Meretz did one of their traditional gewalt campaigns when, you know, woe is us, we're going to be crushed, and people rallied to them. And then what you just said before, I think, is absolutely right, that Lapid surely deserves some credit for not cannibalizing all of their votes for himself. Yes, his own seat count went down a bit, but in a way he allowed a thousand flowers to bloom kind of thing. So they they all made it their winners. I mean, on the loser's side, uh, or rather on the on the right hand side, there is another big winner, and it, it you know it galls me. I can say this uh, more directly, perhaps. But this the part, a party of so called religious Zionism, um, which I, I had a message that arrived first thing this morning from a religious self described religious Zionist of very much the old school, who just said that he wanted you know he felt like he was weeping personal tears because he said the idea that his tribe, as he put it, that had always been known as far as he saw it for its tolerance and values and its willingness to embrace all shades of humanity was now associated instead with this man, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who you know, glorifies Baruch Goldstein, the man who um, killed 29 Muslims in the Hebron massacre of uh, 1994. He said that for him, this is a religious Zionist who texted me this morning saying, for him now, a nitid kippah, which was once a badge of honor, is a symbol of darkness. And that was, you know, I think a very visceral reaction first thing this morning. But I think a lot of people will feel that whatever the other results, the fact that this group are there in the Knesset is just so appalling. You know, I think we talked before about how when Mayor Kahana was elected in 1984, he was shunned by the media, by the political establishment, and it was only one seat. And here... Ben Gvir and his other Jewish supremacists, I think, what, in six, seven? We don't know the exact number yet. But that is a, you know, he's a winner. And that is means, in, in my view, in my book anyway, that Israel itself and Israeli democracy is something of a loser. I, I have to say this. First of all, Itamar Ben Gvir became member of Knesset for the first time. He is the most extreme, the representative of the most extreme right. Uh, you call them Jewish uh, supremacists. Uh, we, we do need to, to note that the, Followers of Kahana already had one member in the Knesset. This was uh, uh, Michel Ben-Ari in the 2009 elections. He was then disqualified by the Supreme Court because of uh, uh, racist remarks that he made. Itamar Ben-Gvir cleared the bar. He was, uh, the Supreme Court uh, let him actually run 
in this election. Yes, you are uh, correct in pointing out that this is dramatic. And this was the first time that the prime minister himself encouraged, did everything he could to push this party, including, I think, for the first time in history, asking people to vote for them, right? He is the head of the Likud and he's asking people to vote for Itamar Ben-Gvir and Betzalel Smotrich's party. Yes, I think that we should make note uh, of that fact and of, and of the fact that they are indeed uh, one of the this party is one of the big winners of of the night. Yeah, so that's um, I mean in terms of losers, um, you know, on a headline figure, Lapid got fewer votes, fewer seats than he'd once been uh, forecast to get. But I think he you know can't count as a loser because we don't know how it plays out. And as you say, he may end up as the very very big. Winner. What about the Naftali Bennett Gidon Saar sort of cluster? Who, uh, you know, the anti—they were the kind of Lincoln Project. Uh, we thought the kind of anti-BB right. Um, uh, st- they wanted to still say they're part of really the Likud tribe, but they anti-BB. Uh, At one point last autumn, I think the forecast were for Naftali Bennett to get twenty or more seats, and then he's also down in those single digits. I mean, w- would you put? Those two in the kind of loser category, who, who would be in your loser category? I would category? say they're very different. I would say that uh, Gidon Sar is in the loser column and Naftali Bennett is, is definitely not in that column. First of all, they're very different, right? They're both, as you said, had their peak in the polls, right? Both of them are around 20 seats at, at one point. Gidon Sar was very adamant in saying, I will not sit with Netanyahu. Netanyahu is finished. Gidon Sar broke away from the Likud, set up his own uh, uh, party, and that wasn't a great success, uh, to say the least. Um, Naftali Bennett played a much more sort of uh, vague game. He would not say he wouldn't sit with Netanyahu. He didn't say he he uh, would sit with him. It was kind of something that he, he he kept on playing. He wanted his price to go up. He wanted to be the kingmaker. He still is in a way, unless Netanyahu doesn't have a coalition, right? But for sure, as we speak today, Netanyahu does not have a coalition without Naftali Bennett. He's going to need him after doing everything in his power to crush him. Um, so that is going to be a very interesting uh, scenario. We talked about last time, I think we talked about Netanyahu and Naftali being Hagrush Lira, right? He has to be the penny to add to Netanyahu's dollar. Netanyahu needs him. He's the second to Mansour Abbas in being uh, Netanyahu's kingmaker. Yeah. And so but, um, I, 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 I see that. I think we have to say something about Ben Gantz, right? I mean, which is, you said you don't know who voted for him. I would say people who believed him, um, even after everything that happened, and maybe even people who felt sorry for him in the sense that he, he really, uh, um, he was crushed in the Israeli you know, public sphere and by Israeli media. They called him a fire, right? A sucker. There's no greater insult in Israel. And he fought back. Um, and that is that gives you credit in, in, in this country, maybe in other countries. And I, I remind you of the scenario doesn't even after everything we went through in this program, this doesn't even sound like the wildest case that if we go to fifth elections and there is deadlock, there is one person that under the coalition uh, agreement that is not uh, null and void until there is a new government, there is one person who will become prime minister in November. And then that fire or that sucker will actually be prime minister. So, yeah, no, he I, will have the last laugh. No, I'm happy to give full credit. I think that we, we talked about that. We highlighted it on the podcast. That truly brilliant ad that Gantz did where he listened to a focus group of people criticizing him and then walks out, reveals himself and says to them, look, it's not like you think. I thought that was the most brilliant um, piece of electoral communication I've seen for years, actually. And, and so the- maybe, maybe it worked. And people thought, 
you know what, I deserve to give this guy another look because maybe he was done over by Netanyahu and he did, and it was done over for good reasons. His heart was in the right place. He thought with the coronavirus crisis, you had to be in government, etc. I mean, you know, he, he, he did pull it off. So we'll definitely put him in our winner column. I wonder if we should, um, since we're handing out winners and loser tags, uh, follow tradition um, and talk about chutzpah and mensch. Um, you're so sleep deprived, uh, Yoni, that I'm going to take this on for both of us. I thought the, oh, the um, gentleman, Jonathan. Why don't we, for chutzpah, uh, we'll be, we can end where we began. I think for sheer chutzpah, um, uh, Mansour Abbas deserves it, not just for being the kingmaker, an Islamist, a kingmaker uh, for a right wing is, uh, Israeli government, but also for something he said in the lead up to the campaign, which I just thought was brilliant, which he was asked, you know, will you be in coalition with Netanyahu or will you be in opposition to Netanyahu? And he said, I think there's a third category. <laughs> I think there's a little known third category where, you know, you're sort of neither in coalition nor in opposition. And I, you know, I plan to be in that little space, sort of Schrodinger's politician, neither dead nor alive. He'll be somewhere in between. And you know what? I almost tempted to take Kolokovots in because he's going to play the game that the Orthodox Jewish parties played for so long, which is what's in it for us. You know, they would say we want money for our yeshivot. And he's going to say... Yeah. Money for my madrasas, money for my community, and, um, you know, go to the highest bidder. So for sheer chutzpah, in the traditional sense that we use that word, um, I think we can give it to him for saying, yeah, I won't be against, I won't be for, I'll be in the third zone. And then as far as Mensch is concerned, the, there is a sort of, uh, this person is an unknown hero, um, like there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. This is going to be the somebody in Likud, headquarters, there will be an official, an operative really, who was there for the build election night celebration, the victory party that Netanyahu hoped to have, who, when the room was completely emptied out and everyone had gone home and there was a very forlorn sight of a lot of empty chairs and a few camera operators, you know, pilot reeling in their cables and packing up to go home, some Likud operative realized that the blue and white balloons that normally come out when the leader emerges were still there in their netting above the stage and thought, what am I going to do with these? And so pulled the lever. And so the balloons descended. Normally, it's an absolutely photogenic moment, you know, when the newly elected president or prime minister is there. And instead, these balloons just fell, drifted like snowfall onto an empty stage and just it was the perfect visual metaphor for Netanyahu's night, you know, the air coming out of the balloon, but also the victory party that wasn't. Whoever that Likud operative is who decided to pull down the lever and then release the balloons to an empty auditorium, for, for delighting us, you get our, and uh, providing such a good metaphor, I think you get our mention of the week. Balloons is never a bad idea, really. Um, and uh, I'm not sure. I I I, uh, I hope that our listeners are somehow less confused after, but I'm not sure. I think we actually uh, made them more, even more confused. I I'm, I I admit that I still do not know what will happen. Stay tuned. There, that is the only thing I can I can still say. About Stay it. tuned. You can be listening to this. I'm guessing a lot of people will be listening to this as they are frantically scrubbing and cleaning and preparing their homes for Pesach. The Passover festival is very nearly upon us as they are preparing. Their seder, they can have us in their ears, giving us, giving them rather, our guide to the uh, for the perplexed on this election. Um, it is best for the time. perplexed it's, by the perplexed, by the way. By the, yeah, exactly. The blind leading the blind this time. I mean, <laughs> we 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 here are preparing for our second 
Zoom Seder. I, I uh, led our little family Seder last year and closed it out with the words, uh, uh, next year, not necessarily in Jerusalem, but next year together in person. And I said at the time, kind of rhetorically, everyone assumed it would happen. The lockdown rules are still in place here. There's a slight easing two days after Pesach. It will be too late for our Seder. So we're going to be doing it again, virtually and remotely. Um, but you, you'll need, you'll have to have time to catch up on your sleep and you will be in person with your loved ones, I'm sure. Indeed, uh, next year in person is actually such a lovely thing to say. I'm sending it your way as well, Jonathan. Um, but you tell the, you told us, uh, I think a few programs ago, that you are a, an avid collector of uh, Haggadah. So to tell us just a little bit about Well, well exactly. I know I am. And normally that's one of the sort of uh, most pleasing diversions of the in-person Seder is I bring out the collection and, uh, you know, the the I have got the classic sort of there's a very diasporic american jewish haggadah which is which is full of sort of aspirational images of immigrants in manhattan i have my communist haggadah which i think i've mentioned to you from a hashomer hatzair kibbutz in which the children of israel are not brought out by almighty god but rather by the outstretched hand of workers rebellion <laughs> and god um, rested on the seventh day because it was a labor agreement with the management under that labor is- <laughs> agreement, that's right. um, and uh, you know uh, what, what else do we have we have the children's haggadah is always very popular with a little pop-up uh animate you know where you pull the little tabs and uh the frogs and lice kind of animate across the page um, so we normally it's a delight, and particularly the, the 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 famous thing is we all say what page are we on, and somebody is on page twenty four, and somebody else is on page thirty five. Every Jewish we all family have these the same. <laughs> that cannot work with the Zoom Seder, where we just have to screen share a single text. So it is it is one of the delights of my Haggadah collection is on hold again for another year. But um, but I wish you Yonit uh, and everyone listening. A you know a, a wonderful and peaceful seder, whether in person or not. If you have had time to listen to us while you're doing your pre-Passover preparations, then do review, share with your friends, uh, give us any push you can, so the more and more people can hear this. And we should say thank you to our usual team of co-conspirators, Yoni. Indeed, and also uh, mention again that we have an Instagram page to at Two Jews on the News. Just letters, no numbers. Mention us, write us, ping us, etc. Um, so thank you very much to our EP, uh, Leor Friedman, and also Rom Atik and Erad Eshel for original music. We're going to get some Passover rest, Jonathan, and come back uh, after uh, after the break. And next year in person, Chag Sameach. I like that. Chag Sameach, Yoni.